Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius Podcast, where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Hi, listeners, and welcome to another Get Genius episode. If you've been listening to the Get Genius episode so far, you've you've heard enough to know that we talk a lot about business, we talk marketing, how to be more effective and powerful as an entrepreneur. We typically don't focus on just how to make money. And without fail, most of these interviews veer towards what these geniuses do to live a better, happier, more fulfilling life. Most of them have made tons of money, but we all know It doesn't mean anything without happiness, and it's a big reason why I invited today's guest to be on the show. He's someone that I became friends with a couple of years ago. Um, I've actually participated in his events, and I've seen him speak many, many times. Actually, he's one of the few speakers I've seen multiple times where his story was different every single time, and each time extremely powerful and funny and emotional. Really, really good. And and that's what he does. That's his profession. And we'll talk about that in the interview. But first, more about him. His name is Dr. Sean Stevenson. And I knew of him long before I met him. And I was so intrigued by him. In fact, he's probably one of the most fascinating people I've known. And in this interview, you'll not only be touched and completely inspired, but you'll clearly see what defines an extraordinary human being. And it doesn't mean that you're perfect. And I think a lot of people think that to be extraordinary, you must be perfect. You must never get sad. You must never have bad thoughts. And I hope that this interview really changes that perspective for a lot of people listening. Um, if you if you don't know Sean, and, and many of you may know of him, if you don't know about him, let me tell you a little more. So when Sean was born, he was actually predicted not to survive. And this is because he was born with a rare bone disorder that stunted his growth. And it caused his bones to be extremely fragile. And you'll hear about this at the beginning of the interview. But despite his challenges, he took a stand for a quality of life and doing so has inspired millions of people around the world, including people like, oh, Sir Richard Branson, President Clinton, and even His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama. Yes. Sean's been on everything from Oprah to Jimmy Kimmel, and if you look at his videos online, you'll see that he gets millions of views. He's amazing. Uh, His life was also featured on the biography channel called Three Foot Giant. You have to watch it. It's so good. But Sean's message has been heard at live events probably in 15 different countries all over the United States. And he's been doing this for about 22 years. He's got a book that's called Get Off Your Butt, B-U-T. And it's been released in 10 different languages around the world. And he even has a new book out, which we'll talk about at the end of the episode. He's a board certified therapist and he's used this to help others enhance their confidence and speaking ability. We'll go through a little bit of the questions that he asks his clients and it's it's pretty cool. You'll see where the, the therapist in him comes out. He's also got some great events that he hosts. One of them is 10K Speeches. It's a live event and And it's basically teaching people how they can command $10,000 to go up on stage and and speak, even if you have 
a desperate fear of it like I do. Um, so I'm really excited for you all to hear this interview. Sean is just an incredible human being and he has so much insight. And I think you'll hear in this a few times things that I will now be walking away with that I think will be definitely life-changing and help me in, in my speaking engagements. So I hope that you listen to the end, really enjoy the interview. And like always, we'll have um, links to everything we speak about in the show notes. Enjoy. Welcome, Sean. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. I'm glad to be here with you, Summer. Awesome. So um, I did my best in the intro to say who you are, what you do, and there's just so much that is Sean Stevenson. So I'd really love for our guests to hear from you the shorter but very fascinating highlights of your life and what brought you to being the incredible teacher, speaker, influencer that you are today. Wow. I would say I've lived a unique life. I mean, everybody has their own path, but mine started out with a lot of challenges. I was born into a a very unique container with a disability called osteogenesis imperfecta. It causes the bones to be extremely fragile in nature and stunted in growth, so I'm only about three feet tall. And I fractured a lot as a child. Something as simple as sneezing would fracture a collarbone. Uh, Putting on a pair of pants too quickly would break a femur. And by the time I was 18, fractured over 200 times. So that definitely gave me a a life filled with uncertainty uh, growing up and and dealing with that. But also a life dealt with a lot of adventure. You know, where there's uncertainty, there's adventure. And where there's adventure, there's uncertainty. So you can't separate the two. I was fortunate enough to have two things in my corner. One is great set of parents. And the other is the desire for knowledge. And, you know, when I was young, I started studying personal growth. I started studying psychology. I started studying success principles. And it kept my mind active and not dwelling on what could have been or what should be or what's unfair. Instead, focused on what can I do, what is available to me, what is possible. And, you know, I believe your quality of life is dictated by what you focus on. And I've been fortunate enough to get married to an amazing woman who has continued to evolve my soul. Mindy is an incredible influence on my life as an adult. And so anytime I go into any pity party mode or complaint mode, she just reminds me who I am, what I teach, and just kind of opens up my book and says, didn't you write? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's refreshing. That's actually comforting to hear that you still, you know, you still have those moments because, you know, sometimes people, you know, look at someone like you who seems to like, you just, you have the greatest advice and you're so empowering that you sometimes think, well, Sean probably never has a bad moment. I think people, when I try to explain this, and I'll do my best here in this interview, when I explain to people that I get down, they don't believe it. And they don't believe it for two reasons. They've seen what I've done, and they're like, oh, well, you can't get to where you've got 
if you're if you have down days and I'm like, yeah, you can, I did it. And they also think that if I were to be down that like what I teach wouldn't wouldn't be real. Like, well, you teach this so it should be easy for you to do and it's like, you know, just because an athlete knows how to uh, put the ball through the hoop if they're a basketball player doesn't mean every game they do. It doesn't mean every time they get it just right. Sometimes they get in their own way. Sometimes they get in, into bad slumps. You see this in athletes' careers all the time where they'll go a period of time. You know, No matter what sport you're following, you'll hear about, oh, so-and-so golfer is just leading in the score is is trailing in, in the scores or you know a team just go year after year of struggling to to get into the playoffs or whatever it may be and it's because life is a cycle experience you we have seasons is a better way of saying it you go through periods of your your year your month even down to your day where you question yourself where you get frustrated and I think what separates me from others, it's why they they seek me out for advice, is I get down, but I don't stay down. And I don't believe that that's where I belong. You know, some people, their biggest problem is not that they get down, that, that they make it a part of their identity, that being down is who they are. Oh, absolutely. And I've, I've seen that so often. And like you say, it's what you what you focus on. So kind of talking about that, I... <laughs> This is why you're the, the best person to be talking to right now. I have a fear of speaking on stage. I've done it. I don't necessarily enjoy it. I love when it's over with <laughs> because I go, okay, I, I've done this. I'm, you know, I've, I'm a writer and that part's easy for me. But the public speaking or even, you know, being on panels, even doing podcasts sometimes, it's it triggers those insecurities and those fears And there's times, there are times where it's like I'm driving in the car and I have this great, you know, visual of just killing it on stage. Like, oh my gosh, if I could just feel the way I feel right now and go up there and do it, it would all be awesome. But it's like, it just, the nerves and everything just takes over. And, you know, I've heard this from a lot of your clients, people that have worked with you. And then I've seen those same people go up on stage and tell their story. And I don't ever feel any kind of fear or discomfort from them. And in fact, I connect with them so easily. Whatever they've learned from you, it's just incredible because they're sharing something and I've got goosebumps and I'm welling up and it's just this amazing connection that I feel to them and I really don't know them well at all. And I'm just wondering, what is it, how do you bring this out in them and how do you help them overcome those nerves and the fear so that they can share their story in a, in that connected way. Because I know when I feel like somebody's too nervous, I can't connect with them, you know, cause it's just it's too much nervous energy going on. Yeah. Yeah. So the premise behind my speaking career is what I do my best to infuse into my students. And that is you're only nervous when you're thinking about yourself. I believe depression and anxiety is they are diseases of selfishness. You know, depression is usually a selfishness of the past. Anxiety is a a selfishness of the future. Why me? Why does this happen to me? Woe is me. When you are fixed on what the audience is going through, it doesn't give you 
the same experience. Uh, when you start thinking about the the young girl in your audience that was sexually assaulted by her best friend and now doesn't know whether she should come forward and have her best friend, you know, arrested and go through a public trial where she might be seen as a liar. It might be a young couple that just bought a house a few years ago. They have two kids and their business is falling apart and now their house is in foreclosure and they're scared. It might be an older lady in the back of the audience that just got a prognosis that she's been given a terminal you know, diagnosis so that she's going to die in a few months and she's got uh, her husband that she's taking care of. When you look out into your audience and you, you connect to the challenges that people are going through, you don't have time for those fears. Whenever somebody's worried or, oh, what are they going to think of me or what if I'm not credentialed enough, they've lost track of why they have the platform in the first place. You know, I just recently posted something on my Facebook uh, wall, and we're very blessed. We have almost a million followers now on Facebook. And so when I ask a question, we get a lot of responses now. And I talked about how two years ago I was in a life-altering accident, almost killed me, and how every time that that anniversary comes up, it gives me pause. And I think about how grateful I am to have survived it and how grateful I am that that's behind me. But then I asked my audience, I said, what anniversary do you dread every year? And everybody always has something. You know, it's when my brother uh, committed suicide. It's when my father died of cancer. It's when I was raped. It's when I uh, lost my home to the bank. And, like, just story after story of people's dreadful anniversaries that you realize that, At first blush, when you look at a human being, you have no idea what they must have gone through. You have no idea what challenges they faced. Um, And humans are pretty resilient. We don't choose to wear on our sleeve our scars. We try to put our best foot forward. But if you had x-ray vision and could see into people's past and their pains, and as you sat on a stage and looked out on that you would quickly let go of all of your fears. And that's the thing. Whenever I'm worried, and so for me, I get I get nervous maybe once every few years now uh, when I get up on stage, and it's not because I'm afraid I'm going to do bad. It's more maybe I'm giving a speech, and the conference that's having me present is run by one of my best friends, and I really want to knock it out of the park for him or her. And so that... That type of pressure weighs on me, and I'm like, oh, man, I hope, I hope I'm funny. I hope I move them emotionally. And I start getting into my head about, like, the impact I'm going to make for my friend, and then I forget about the audience. I forget about why I'm there in the first place. As soon as I can catch myself in that loop and pull myself out of it, think about who's in my audience, just connect with love, everything shifts because when you're on stage – loving on your audience and they know that you care about them and they can feel it they will give you a lot of leeway for making mistakes and that's something I've noticed is you can have the best information but if, the, if you feel like as an audience member that the speaker doesn't care about you it doesn't land 
But if you can tell that that speaker cares the world about you and they are authentic and they are just pouring out their heart and they really want to make a difference in your life, you don't care if they have their hands in their pocket, if they are using any pet phrases, if they're pacing too much. You don't care because you're just like feeling that person. So that's what I always tell people is get back to why are you up there in the first place. So that reminds me of, I don't remember when I got this piece of advice, but I've been using it for years and years. When you feel depressed, when you feel down, turn around and do something for someone else. Be of service to somebody else. And it is, I mean, it's just instant magical shift of, okay, you know. And that's what, you know, I never really thought about it that way, but now I am. It is, you know, it is when you're all wrapped up in yourself, you know, with all those nerves and everything because, and I don't think that anybody really cares that much about what I'm caring about, you know, being all that nervous. They're, they want to know how you're going to impact them. Only your closest compadres really want to know how you feel. The rest of us are like, wait, how do you feel about me? And it's, it's the cheesy cliche, the line that you hear about, which is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. How do you, do you, do you ever work with people that, I'm sure there's some people that absolutely know which story they want to they wanna tell and how it's impacted their life. Have you ever worked with somebody who can't quite figure out what it is they need to share and then you've brought that out in them? That's most people. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. It's rare that I find somebody that says, okay, this is my message. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, cool. Why do you need me? I mean, it's more they show up with, I have a message, but I'm not sure what it is. Okay. And I interview them. So, for instance, one of my clients is a world-famous health and wellness expert. And he's got a huge following, but he really wants to get his story dialed in about what he's gone through, and he's passionate doing what he's doing and make that clear to an audience. And what I had to do with him is we just had a deep, about an hour conversation where we both closed our eyes And we were in the same room together, and I interviewed him, and I went back and forth into his past. Tell me about your first love. What was your best friend in grade school's name? Tell me about your relationship with your father. What kind of woman do you want to eventually be in a relationship with? What was that first time you made a big check? What was that like putting that into the bank? What is your fear of how people see you? Who are you when you make your your most insecure decisions. What do you what have you done that you regret? Like and we just went back and forth into the future and back to the present and then back into the past. And I just took him on this journey and we reviewed it. Uh, we had it recorded and then we transcribed it um, through a transcription service. And then I went back to the transcription service transcript and I circled the key components that I felt were very moving. And I found themes and, and concepts and paradoxes. And then now we are deconstructing that. And so it's like layers upon layers. Most people take for granted what they've gone through. They're like, oh, yeah, I, mean, I don't feel like I have that much to talk about. I mean, I watched my sister die in a burning car crash. You're like, what? what? Or they'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm, a friend of mine said that, He was on an airplane with somebody who was like, yeah, I'd like to be a speaker, but I don't have anything interesting to share. And and my buddy asked him, well, what do you do? And he goes, oh, I'm a hostage negotiator for Interpol. And he's like, 
Are you kidding me? You probably have dozens of great stories. But we discount what we've gone through. So I'll give you my own example. And you're not going to probably believe me somewhere, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't feel like I've done much with my life. I feel like that I am realizing my full potential here on this planet. And most people that read my bio and see my life, they're like, are you crazy? But to give you an example, when Leonardo da Vinci died, he left a journal. And in his last entry in his journal, he said, I wish I would have amounted to more. That's Leonardo da Vinci. The inventions and science and art and technology and his insights and what he left for the human race. He's responsible for creating the helicopter, basically, and highway systems, and not to mention the art he left for us. And yet, in his dying moments, he felt like he didn't amount to very much. And I can I can connect to that, because when you have very high aspirations, like myself and other leaders, they feel like I haven't even begun, like that they're not even fully stretching. And for me, I do a lot of podcast interviews, and, and no one ever believes me when I say, like, I feel like I'm lazy. I feel like there's so much more I could be doing. But people take everything into context, right? They look at what they feel like my life would be like if they were me. And they're like, are you kidding me? You're running circles around me, and I'm not even in a wheelchair. And... And my mentality is, yes, but I don't compare myself to the masses. And that's not like an arrogant statement. It's just I compare myself to world leaders throughout history. And I'm like, gosh, Da Vinci, look at what he did for the human race. And so when you compare yourself to people of greatness, it really gives you a boost to want to strive for more. Now, the goal is to not feel miserable in the process. And that's the challenge, because how do we strive for more without feeling like we're not enough? And therein lies the the critical fine line, being happy with what you've achieved, but wanting more. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you allow yourself to celebrate accomplishments? Yes, absolutely. Um, that's something I am good at, because I know that... A lot of my clients don't. You know, I've been a therapist for 16 years, and I've, I've seen these entrepreneurs who, you know, amass hundreds of millions of dollars, and, and they're not happy. Uh, so I certainly celebrate my accomplishments. Where I still struggle is feeling like there's so much more that needs to be done and that it's on me. Yeah. Well, you, you have a, a hefty goal. Yes, eliminating insecurities in humans. Yes, the whole human race. The whole human race. That's 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 a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, but it's also a lot of drive, too. It's a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, no matter how dark and down I get, I remember why I'm here, and that gives me a huge advantage um, to get back out there. I, I would say, I'd venture to say, at least once a week, I want to quit. And I don't think most people believe me, but at least once a week, I want to quit. Now, here's the difference between me and most people. I don't stay there for long, and I don't make it a part of my identity. I'm not like, oh, I'm a loser. No, I may feel like a loser in the moment. And I find 
that I am most vulnerable to my insecurities, just like anybody else, when I'm not taking good care of myself. Oh, yeah. When I'm not on what I call my when life works list, when I'm not doing the self-care, when I'm on my when life sucks list, when I'm not getting good sleep and my brain chemistry gets out of whack, when I'm not exercising, when I'm not eating right, when I'm not journaling, when I'm not you know, staying on top of my hygiene and grooming and connecting to mentors and hydrating and, and meditating and doing the self-care activities. When I'm not doing that, I am susceptible to being eaten alive by all my own insecurities. Oh, I relate to that completely. I'm sure a lot of people do. And it's so, it's so funny how you, you're, when you're in the groove of self-care, it's, it's so easy to maintain because you feel so good. It's also so fast. The decline can happen so fast of just, you know, a few days of neglect. Well, and, you know, it takes a while to build a building, but it doesn't take long to burn it down. Right. You know, I think there's a law in physics that says it's much easier to tear something apart than to build it up. And it's true with the reputation. You could, you could be, I mean, look at Lance Armstrong. How many years we looked at him as some kind of god and like a, an example of striving. And, and then all of a sudden it comes out that he had been doping. Uh, and overnight people were like, you're a liar. You suck. You don't, you know, you aren't my hero anymore. And the, the human race turned on him. Yeah. And it didn't, it just took a little bit of information on him to have everybody swing that pendulum. And, you know, I'm a big believer that you you have to put in a lot of work to build something, but it doesn't take much to tear it down. Yeah, so true. So let's go back to eliminating insecurities. When did that become a goal for you and, and why? Well, it was a common theme I saw within every human being. You know, and I would work with world leaders and business moguls down to... Not down to, because I feel all humans are equal, but on par with people that are like, you know, freshmen in college just trying to find themselves and, you know, uh, everybody in between. And I found that insecurity was the root of all evil. When you don't feel like you're enough. One of my mentors about eight years ago, he just continued to question me. Why were you born, Sean? Why were you born? Why were you born? Why were you born? And so finally, after answering over and over and over, I didn't even care why I was born. I was just like, enough with the stupid question. And finally, it hit me. I was born to rid this world of insecurity. And he said, yes, you were. Because if anybody were to get up in front of the human race and say, we don't need to be insecure, and we would all listen to that person, it would be you. Because if you're if you're looking at a guy like Tony Robbins, six foot seven, you know, built like a building so solid, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, all that, you're like, yeah, easy for you to say, Mr. Perfect, you know. But when I roll out on stage and I still have challenges every single day, and I'm like, yo, you can love yourself when you look in the mirror, no matter what jiggles, you know, like you can you can care about yourself. It's okay to love yourself without needing any external validation. Now, when that comes from my container, people pause and they think, wow, okay, time out. This is different. This is coming from uh, a space of intensity that it's absorbed differently. 
Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a good story, a before and after, of someone you've worked with who was just, you know, practically handicapped by their insecurities and broke through and what that did for them? Sure, I got two, a a boy and a girl. Okay. And uh, with the boy, I had a young kid come to me, he was in his 20s, and he was raised by a mother who was paranoid. And I don't mean, like, jokingly. I mean, like, she had bars on the window in a good, safe neighborhood. Like, just mental um, disorder. And he wasn't allowed to dance or sing. They weren't allowed to go on vacation because she thought the plane would crash. And, like, he was raised in a very sheltered existence. And he came to work with me, and we worked 12 hours one-on-one on his belief systems and separating away from his mother's illness from his own life and he went out after that and joined a dance troupe he traveled the world he got a girlfriend i mean his life was massively transformed because he didn't continue to live out the burden of his mother and i got another story of of the woman who i worked with nine years ago she was addicted to crystal meth cocaine she was a raging alcoholic she was using marijuana by like 11 12 years old um and it was because she was raped when by two of her brother's friends in junior high then raped again later after high school and she felt like trash and so she went out and did everything to prove to herself that she was trash Uh, by the time she was 16 she was pregnant with her her daughter she almost lost the daughter to dcfs Lots of trouble and with the you know almost went to jail. All this stuff. Finally got into stripping and escorting, selling her body, doing all kinds of dangerous combinations of drugs. She came to see me, and we worked together for twelve hours in this program that I was doing, and one on one. And we had her realize that she needed to forgive the people that had hurt her in her past, and more importantly, forgive herself. And she went through the the challenge because when you're hurt, it's easy to just stay angry. And yet it's the anger that perpetuates the problem and and develops the insecurity that I'm trash, I'm trash. Well, we turned it around that day. It's been nine years. She's clean and sober. She's happily married to a really wonderful man. She successfully runs an MMA gym and is a professional speaker. Her daughter is now 16 herself now and, you know, just such a good kid. And, you know, now she's out there in the world telling her story. And we had to address those insecurities that she was trash. And, you know, there's a lot of other examples of people that I've worked with where we had to get down to the root of what is their identity. Because... You are run by your identity more than anything else. Absolutely. So kind of shifting, shifting topics here. You and Mindy, not only are married, but you work together as well. And I know there's, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are married to, to their business partner or they, they work with their spouse. What's your advice? Cause I see, I, I love, I love how you guys are together. I love how you speak about her, how much you honor her. I love how she looks at you. Like it's, it's awesome. And I know, I know it's not, you know, 
for any married couple, it's not always sunshine and, and roses all of the time. And especially if you have a business together, but I want to hear, you know, how do you, how do you keep the romance and the business separate so that both can stay successful? Well, we have two separate companies and then we just occasionally do projects together. Yeah. And we don't own a company together. I think she'd kill me if that was the case, but I can tell you that I can't imagine. I mean, I did it and it didn't work out. Uh, I can't imagine being in a relationship with a non-entrepreneur, you know, because entrepreneurs composing blog posts, sometimes at two in the morning, um, entrepreneurs are working on holidays, entrepreneurs are betting the ranch on a business idea and skipping out on spending money on their honeymoon to to trying out a Facebook campaign or something. And when you're not an entrepreneur, that seems insane. But an entrepreneur gets that world. And so, you know, Mindy and I are often up late talking about marketing. Last night, uh, she came to me and she said, hey, can I interview you for my, my coach training program, a video salon that I'm putting out? I said, sure. And so I was on her, her video podcast, if you will, for her, her group, um, you know, for about an hour in the middle of the night, just putting it together with her. And it didn't, it didn't seem weird. Like, I wasn't like, well, you know, what am I going to talk about? Or, 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 you know, I need, I need time to prepare. It was just like, okay, babe, what do you need? And that is, I think, a part of the romance is... She felt loved in that moment that I had her back and I was able to uh, provide value to her people. Same thing when I'm struggling with putting together an aspect of entreport or, uh, you know, some, some technological piece to my business. You know, I'll, I'll ask her because I don't know if she, she'll be a whiz on that. You know, she's a whiz kid on knowing those details of, of the business. And, that's a part of the romance for us is knowing that we're supported in our missions. You know, I would never want her to choose me over her business because they, she's a part of her business. You know, like you, a really solid entrepreneur, their, their mission is woven into their being. You can't separate it out. It's like, when am I not speaking publicly? When am I not, when is Mindy not coaching somebody? You know, like, you just can't easily turn it off. So to to look at marriage between two entrepreneurs, in some ways, I think it's a lot easier. I I wonder how you do it if you're not, if you're one, if one is not an entrepreneur and doesn't understand that world. But to me, I'm always looking for how can I provide value to my woman and how can I make her feel completely loved and supported. Um, you know, you've heard the cheesy line, happy wife, happy life. But it's more than that. It's, you know, when your partner feels supported, they shine, you know. And I do everything to see my woman shine. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer what a man wants more than sex is for his woman to be happy. Because if, if a woman's not happy in a relationship, then the guy's like, what am I doing here? You know, he feels like a failure. Exactly. So it's it's a joy to be able to uh, combine forces at times to create things. 
And I, I can't my, imagine my life any other way. Beautiful. Love it. Um, you have a new book out, correct? It's an ebook, but yes. It's an ebook. Yep. And it's called How to Stay Positive When Life Gets Crazy. Yes. And I'm imagining a lot of the, a lot of the, what we've been talking about today is going to be in there, but can you give us like, you know, like two highlights from it? Sure. So I give a lot of stories, people that I've seen as being deemed negative. And I try to um, almost do little features on them and, and reverse engineer what, what's causing their life to drain everyone around them. <laughs> and I'll give you an example from the book that I was out with this individual once. We were at the grocery store and they went into the freezer section, you know, those doors that open up and you got all the frozen food in. And he reached in for a box of frozen fish. And as he pulled it out, all the other boxes toppled on top of him. And he had a little bit of a meltdown. And he was angry and he was swearing. And he, and he immediately went to, see, this is the incompetency of store clerks today. They don't. He immediately went into the story of how it was somebody else's fault for not stacking the proper boxes. You know, not properly stacking the boxes. And... Then on the car ride home from the store, I just said, here's how you went into that scenario versus how I would have gone into that scenario. You went into immediately having to find somebody to blame. And that's a part of the aspects of being negative, is needing somebody to burn on the cross for what happened. A positive person, or a person that we deem as positive, that's truly positive, because I talk about there's fake positive and then there's real positive, is you can put on a fake smile and do, I'm happy, bullshit, no you're not, we can tell it's, you know, it's not real, um, but somebody who's truly authentically positive would say, huh, maybe I wasn't looking carefully at the box that I grabbed and I pulled the linchpin, you know, I pulled the thing that everything else had become the avalanche on. Maybe this has nothing to do with the store clerks, maybe the last grocery shopper misaligned the boxes and the grocery store keep was actually very diligent but this just happened with a former shopper so it had nothing to do with the shopkeep and you know immediately how you interpret something determines the rest of your day and then that determines how people treat you because in that moment I'm like dude this is what you do in your life yeah you know, you, you reach for the box that's going to cause all the other boxes to tumble, and then you complain about somebody else doing a poor job of stacking the boxes. And this is what people do. They will, they will head into bad relationships. All the writing will be on the wall that it is toxic. You know, uh, well, I know, I know this person was, you know, arrested for assaulting their last lover, and I know that they are being chased by a few creditors right now, and I know their children don't speak to them, and I know that they have violent tendencies, but I, I, I think they're really cute, and, and I think I can make it work. And you're like, you are the dumbest human being alive right now. Are you not seeing the writing on the walls? Well, then they go in, they grab that box of fish, everything comes tumbling down, and they're like, this person stabbed me in the eye last night, can you believe it? And you're like, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, I can. It was so clear you were going to eventually get stabbed somewhere by this human being. But when you avoid the warning signs, you shouldn't be surprised. And, I mean, another aspect between that I talk about in the book is the difference between somebody who's truly positive and somebody who's chronically negative. Is, is this is very counterintuitive. I go into a scenario, whether that's a seminar or a keynote speech or a podcast, whatever it may be, and I know there's a possibility that everything could fail. Yeah. The technology could break down, my microphone could be broken, uh, Skype could drop, anything could happen, right? And so if that happens, I'm like, okay, you know, I knew that was a possibility, and I'm not losing my shit over it. I'm like, all right, there we go. Sometimes the negative people have such high expectations of how something should be that they have this image that everything is going to go without a hitch. And the moment something goes wrong, they're like, oh, this is ridiculous. This, is, uh, this isn't fair. This isn't right. It shouldn't be this way. And I'm like, dude, that's the difference between you and I. I go in knowing anything could happen. Yeah. And I'm, I am elated if everything goes right. I'm like, wow, that was awesome. They go and demanding everything be right and then something doesn't work and then they lose it yes so so i talk about all the different aspects between a person who's chronically negative and somebody who's ritualistically positive i talk about the different elements of the positive that you should look for as a smoke screen yeah versus who's really genuinely positive i talk about strategies to quickly pull yourself out of dark spaces in your life Plus, when people get that ebook, I'm really pop- proud of it because we sold thousands of it by now. And, you know, we, we did three one hour videos uh, one on how to stay positive in health, how to stay positive in wealth, and how to stay positive in relationships that, that people get when they get the ebook. Uh, we have the audio book as well, and it's all packaged together so they can listen to it. And then we also gave away, as a bonus, an ebook for kids on how to stay positive. And, and so all of that for one investment is what people get when they get that ebook. Oh my God. Okay. And where can they find this? So they go to staypositive.club, like golf club, dot C-L-U-B, staypositive.club. And, you know, what I love about it is most books don't get read cover to cover. They get started and then they sit on nightstands. I wrote this book so that you in about an hour can finish it it's a book that you go back to on a regular basis. It's not a one-time read. And so I made it in a way that when you read it, you'll get to finish it. And then that alone will be something that will drive you forward. Plus, people get a 30-day trial if they think it sucks and they think I'm one of these hype-up, uh, you know, non-substance guys. Then they can see for themselves. And if it's not for them, they get 30 days to try it out. Awesome. Okay, we'll definitely have that in the show notes as well. As you're as you're telling these stories, I'm thinking of a, an experience just a couple of days ago. Actually, my daughter and I were delayed about five hours um, coming back from New York, and uh, it wasn't the airline's fault. They were actually trying to keep everybody safe. There were electrical storms going on, and the the woman next to us just had a fit with her son next to her, and just. Uh, Oh, this shitty airline. Well, are you at least going to give us free cocktails? Are you this? And every time they kept making a delay, you know, announcing the delay, it's going to be another 30 minutes. And now we're going to have to deplane and all this. kind. It was just this 
you know, outrage as if this was happening just to her and her alone. <laughs> you know, like everybody's irresponsible. Nobody's running this right. And it was, you know, out of their control. So, you know, what's usually underneath that. What? That she's not happy with her life. Right. Well, and, and my daughter's sitting here next to me and she's just kind of laughing, you know, looking at me like, mommy, this, this lady's like losing it. And I'm looking at my daughter's experience, who's just like, cool, I'm going to watch more Chop Jr., you know, while she's sitting there on the plane, watching all of her things and just laughing and, can I, you know, eating her snacks and just so positive about it. And it's just, it's so interesting to me, the difference, you know, the, the like huge difference of perception, I guess, you know, how, how you're going to make this experience. And she was totally in control. You know, it was just, and I told my daughter that too, you know, she's completely in control of how she's going to go through this experience as are we. And that's why we're here because there's nothing else we can do. It's not doing any bit of good, you know, to throw your arms up in the air and get all upset. And I'm sure you have all of this in your book. It's just a way to not let the frustrations and all of that take over you. Well, you get to determine how you interpret something. And if you interpret it as the world's against me, this isn't fair, why does this always happen to me, it becomes self-fulfilling, and then you get to be right. And humans are right machines. You know, we're like, we're constantly wanting to be right. But what do you want to be right about? Do you want to be right that the world's a beautiful place and that things are working in your favor? Or do you want to be right that the world's against you and and that you don't ever get to win? What do you want to be right about? Also... What I found is that I want you to take, I want you to visualize something with me somewhere. Imagine your child is blowing up a a rubber balloon, and then she pulls the uh, the end of the balloon really tight and lets the air out. You know what sound that makes? It's horrific, right? It's just this high pitch, obnoxious sound, and that's what that woman's behavior was. But if you look at the balloon, it's actually emptying as it's making that sound. So it's it's getting more and more exhausted and it's it's shriveling up and it eventually is empty. And that's what's going on is that high-pitched squeal from the balloon is the balloon actually deflating. Yeah. And a human being's behavior that is that high-pitched screech that you're like, what the hell is wrong with this person? They're they're unraveling. They're they're coming apart. And that sound is obnoxious to us. But to a trained therapist like myself, I'm like, this person's coming unglued because something painful is going on in their life. That woman is probably in a very non-fulfilling relationship. Unfulfilling. Um, she's probably not happy with her body. There's probably multiple things going on there that this is an opportunity for her to release some steam. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly it. It's like the trigger of, all right, now I'm going to let it all out. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's sad. One of, um, I can't remember, you know, the first time that I heard it, who I heard it from, and I know you know this, um, but things don't, I, I'll remind my kids of this too, things don't happen to you, they happen for you. For you. And that, you know, that's that's a perception that completely changed my life. Because you can play the victim and you can act like, oh my gosh, I just tripped and because somebody else put that out there and this is happening to me and now I'm having a bad day and now I spilled my drink and blah, 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 blah. Or... You know, you can laugh at it. My mom has always said, you know, look at it like a joke when things go wrong. You just think of it as a funny joke. 
laugh at it and, and keep moving forward. And, you know, think about when, when something, when you feel really bad or some situation is happening, think of how it's happening for you instead of to you. And I, I absolutely love that. And especially I try to remind people because we all go through struggles and challenges at different times in our life. And if you can look at it that way, it always proves itself. It always does. You look back and you go, thank God that that happened. <laughs> well, cause everything's, everything's building on itself. Yeah. Right? You know, and I'll give you an example from my own life. When I was writing that book, how to stay positive when life gets crazy. I was procrastinating one day. I didn't want to work on it. And so I created a little post-it note video where I was telling people how much I love them and how, how they need to love themselves. And through my procrastination, that video went mega viral and reached well over 100 million people. And it was through procrastination that that video helped to sell hundreds of ebooks that I hadn't even finished writing. And, you know, it's like you have to trust the process. You can't do it wrong. You don't know what's in store. There's that old story that, like, you know, the, the guy has a son and the son is drafted. Or no, the son is the farmer and he breaks his leg in the field. And people are like, oh, that's so awful. Your son broke his leg. And the farmer said, maybe. And then the war happens and his son can't get drafted to go to the war. And it's just the, the story goes on and on and on. And the farmer keeps saying, maybe. Like, we don't know if it's good or bad. Yeah. And so my dad's always been a great source of my... Uh, knowledge and wisdom and he's like you know it's never as bad as it seems and it's never as good as it seems you know when you get into that i've been in this trap before when business is coming in and i feel like the world's listening to me and i just think i'm amazing and i'm like it's gonna be this way forever and then i get into an accident that i don't see coming and i'm derailed for a long period of time and i'm like holy cow i thought everything was perfect and then there's times where I'm at the end of my rope and I, and I hate my life. And I'm just like, why, why do I think I can really rid this world of insecurity when I'm dealing with my own insecurities? And I'm just like, ah, and then something beautiful shows up. And I'm like, oh, I guess it wasn't as bad as I thought. And that's why I'm a big believer of talking about you never want to end your life prematurely because you don't know what's coming around the corner. You know, when I read... Um, about how many people's worlds are rocked because of suicide and how so many people take their own life because they're in pain. And had they held in and got help, how much their life could have turned around. And trust me, I've, I've had that thought cross my mind. Like, wouldn't this be easier if I got this over with? And yet you don't know who you're impacting uh, you don't know how quickly things can turn. And, you know, suicide is completely preventable. And it's talking about, like, having the difficult conversations. Entrepreneurs in, in startup communities, you know, the, the numbers are starting to climb in suicides because they feel like they can't tell anybody that they're struggling because then it would be bad for business. And so then they take their own life thinking, I'm never going to turn this around. I'm a failure. Nobody wants what I have. And it's like the community is then rocked. Like, whoa, we didn't know there was anything wrong. And this is why I talk to people about how 
the crazy thoughts that I have, you know. Sometimes I'll be up late at night, it's like 3 in the morning, I can't sleep, and I'll be just sitting in my bathroom going, man, I'm not making an impact in this world like I thought I would. Why should I even do this anymore? And, you know, if I didn't understand how emotions roll in like weather systems, I could do something rash, you know. But I know that your feelings come and go, and you got to breathe with them instead of believe them. Right. It's fleeting. Everything's fleeting. The good moments, the bad moments, the, you know, yeah, that's so true. As long as you, you know that. And it's, I mean, it's, again, it's all, it's all the perception. It's knowing, like you said, walking into a situation, things can go wrong. You already know that you're probably at some point going to be uncomfortable. And there's so many people that stay down because then there's no expectations from them. And they don't have to get too uncomfortable. They're already as, you know, uncomfortable. They're just going to stay there. They don't have to get more uncomfortable. I wish I wish people could step out a little more and Well that's why you're doing this podcast. That is why. That is exactly why. So you've got an event coming up. I know that people listening are gonna wonder, you know, if we, if they want to work with you, how what do they need to do? How how would they qualify to work with you? Where can they find you? And um or maybe attend uh y- your event coming up, which is this is the the ten K speeches mm-hmm. and that's gonna be in uh Tempe. It's yeah. coming up soon. Wow. That's the yeah. 19th through the 21st. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I know that they can go to seanstevenson.com. And I, is it slash 10K? Well, I just have to go to 10K speeches. Just 10K speeches.com. Okay, perfect. 10K speeches.com. I'm going to have all of this in the show notes so that people can just click right on it. But tell us about the event and then tell us about, you know, if somebody wants to work with you, how do they get a hold of you? So the event, all about how do you develop your voice? Like, what is your message? How do you break through your fear? Um, How do you get paid to share a message? We have incredible guest speakers that are going to be sharing the stage talking about the the marketing of professional speaking, uh, the craft of professional speaking, you know, how you develop your voice and, and through your presentation skills. And it's going to be special. We're, this year, we've held it in hotels in the past. This year, we rented out a theater. So really looking forward to that. It'll be very intimate and theatrical, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so go check out 10kspeeches.com. And actually, what I'll do is I will give your people a, um, a fast action bonus where if they sign up, I'll give you a coupon code you can put in the show notes that will make it half off since uh, we have a few seats left that they can come in. They can get in at half price. So we'll send that off to you. Um, And to work with me personally, I can say I don't just work with anybody. Um, So we have a bit of a screening process. I used to take on any and every issue that would knock on my door. And now I'm far more specific about who I work with. I work with entrepreneurs whose Lives are already pretty amazing, but they're stuck in some specific area, and they they almost need like a professional tweak to their 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 daily uh, rituals and belief systems. Um, so they can contact me through my assistant. They're interested to to work with me as a coach, and they can just email uh, hello at seanstevenson.com and ask for more details. Awesome! Like so many exciting things. Well, Sean, I know I could talk to you forever, 
And I love listening to you talk. I love listening to your speeches. I've seen you a number of times. I've never heard the same story twice, which is pretty amazing. You know, when I think of like, you know, all the different events and, and people that I've seen on stage multiple times, you know, there's times where you hear this, which is fine. You know, I've heard the, the same stories, but I think I hear something. Well, I feel pretty self-conscious about that. Are you okay? I, I, feel, like, I feel like there's a, the times that I get nervous is when I know the whole audience has seen me before. Yeah. Oh, man, I got to raise my game. I got to bring new stuff. But you know what's interesting is sometimes people like to hear old stories because it's like that that favorite song at the concert. They're upset if they don't get to hear it sung. But, you know, as I get older and deeper into this profession, I'm finding that the more I can just kind of get out of my own way and channel what's coming through me and trust that I've got 22 years of doing this and then I can kind of play jazz up in front of the crowd, then they're witnessing something fresh and new at the same time I am. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me. And uh, I hope that everybody goes and checks out the ebook, the whole package. Check out all of the links we've got on there for the event and working with Sean. And I can't wait till I see you again. I sh- I'm sure I'm going to see you. Are you going to be at uh, the annual event? Yeah, I'll be speaking at the annual event. Okay, perfect. That's probably the, the soonest I'll see you. So I'm excited about that. Perfect. Thank you so much, Sean. (laughs) Have a wonderful week. Me too. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Your home for kick-butt custom whiteboard marketing videos. Your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future genius guests.